Hi, and welcome to the February 16th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida, and my desire is to help you grow in your understanding and enjoyment of God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today's reading is just in the Old Testament again. It's Leviticus chapter 19 and 20. And uh, then tomorrow we're going to get back to Matthew and we're going to finish it up with Matthew 28. But today it's just Leviticus chapter 19 and 20. Now, if you haven't read that yet, go back, uh, hit pause, go back and uh, read those passages and then come back and listen to the podcast. But if you've already read it, I hope you're ready. Let's get started. Okay, so when we come to Leviticus 19, we see verse 2 where it says, where God says, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, one of the things that we see in this verse is that God says, Since I am the Lord your God, I have the right to expect you to be holy. And so in verse 2, God is giving them um, his credentials to make it clear that holiness is not an option, that it is what they are called to do um, because God is the one who is their ruler. And uh, this principle carries over to the New Testament as well because God is our God. He has the right to expect us to be holy. Um, a verse that Jesus gave, Matthew five forty eight, be perfect. Now that word perfect, we hear perfect and hear and we think, oh, I can, I cannot be perfect. But that word in the original language means to come to completion, to come to the end, the fulfillment of, which is basically be striving for holiness, be striving for Christ-like, uh, Christ-likeness, be striving for obedience and submission. And so this principle applies to us. Since God is our God, he has every right to demand and expect us to be holy. But we also see back in Leviticus 19 that there's a standard. Be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. So we not only see that God has the right to demand and expect holiness, but we also see that God is the standard. Be holy because I'm holy. And so what does holiness mean? What does it mean? Technically, Holiness in the Old Testament and in the New Testament means separated from the world and dedicated to God. It's basically what it means. Separated from the world, dedicated to God. And that implies obedience, that implies submission, that implies killing the deeds of the flesh, killing sin in our life. Um, all of those are implied, but in its purest form, holy mean, holiness means separated from the world dedicated to God. So what does holiness look like specifically for the Israelites? And again, remember, when you read Leviticus, you are reading God's word to the Old Testament Israelites. Now, many of these moral codes carry over because the moral law was not done away with. But some of these things were given only to the Israelites. And so we've got to be so careful in how we understand and apply these passages. But basically, in Leviticus 19, we see how holiness was defined. And so God gave, he said, if you are holy, this is what it's going to look like. Verse 3, you're going to respect your parents and respect and honor them. This also part of verse 3, you're going to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. 
Verse 4, you're not going to worship idols. Verse 5 through 8, you're going to not offer sacrifices the way that God has not prescribed. You're going to do it the way that God has told you to. Um, verse 9 and 10, when you harvest your crop, you're going to leave the edges unharvested so that there is still grain, there's still food, so that the poor and the non-Jews who come by will be able to get some food. So if you're holy, you're going to take care of other people. Basically, except for observe the Sabbath, do not worship idols, and offer sacrifices the way that God has prescribed, those pretty much have to do with our relationship with God. But the rest of the chapter, pretty much, is holiness means that we are going to treat other people right. Whether they're neighbors or poor or non-Jews or slaves or parents or buyers from you know, buying from us, that we are going to treat people right. Holiness just means we're doing the right thing. We're not doing things the world tells us to do it. We're doing things the way God has told us to do it. Now, as Christians, as New Testament Christians, we don't primarily look to the Old Testament for the standard of holiness because, once again, much of what was written in the Old Testament was for the Israelites. Um, so for us as believers, we certainly look at the moral code in the Old Testament, but we primarily take our orders from the New Testament. And the New Testament, Jesus clarified these Old Testament principles and, and drove the truths home. And he basically said, it's not just activity, it's your heart condition. The New Testament, the age of grace, it was all grace, but we come to understand grace even more in the New Testament. The New Testament says that under grace, you're even more responsible. You can't just do the behaviors. You have to have a right heart. And holiness is going to show up in how you relate to God and in how you relate to other people. It's doing the right thing. What's the right thing? What God has told us in his word. Be holy even as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Okay, so we come to Leviticus 20. Now in verses 1 through 8, uh, we come to understand that it was a capital offense uh, to offer one's child to Moloch. Now I'll tell you that if you were to investigate Moloch there and, and do some deep study into this, there, there's something of a lack of clarity on exactly what this was. What seems to make the most sense to me, what seems to fit a little bit more consistently with the references to Moloch in the Old Testament is that it was an idol, a god. And in fact, there are some that say that it was like a, I think it was bronze, it was a big bronze uh, molded statue or something that was, that would had the, the, uh, the body of a man and the head of a bull. And um, th this would be a God that specifically the people of Canaan would offer their children to. They would sacrifice their children in the fire to the God of Moloch. And in fact, that's what we read about in Leviticus 18, verse 21. Uh, it says, you are not to sacrifice any of your children in the fire to Moloch. Do not profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. And so God says, you do this, 
And in verses one through eight, God says, I will punish you. I will, I will have your life taken if you take your child's life, offering it to this pagan deity. Um, one of the things that we realize is that the Canaanites did this. This was one of the many practices that they engaged in. The Canaanites, the people that lived in the promised land, that Joshua and the Israelites were going to come in and they were going to take out those people so that they, the Israelites, could inhabit the promised land. One of the things that they were known for is they would offer up their children to the god of Moloch, smelling the stench of the burning flesh of their child, hearing their children screaming, and then finally their child is gone, their child is burnt, and, and they're the ones that did it. God said, you do this, your life is forfeited. But unfortunately, one of the things that we realize is that the Israelites did do this. In Jeremiah 7.31, this is later in Israel's history, it, God has a grievance against Israel and said, They have built the high places of Topheth in Ben-Hinnom Valley. This is where Jesus got Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom. God says, They have built the high places of Topheth in Ben-Hinnom Valley in order to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, a thing I did not command. I never even entertained the thought. And so the Israelites would eventually burn their children, offer their children to the pagan false god of Moloch in the valley of Gehenna. In fact, I think that's why Jesus, when he was speaking of hell periodically in the Gospels, if you do a word study, some of those references, if you look at the word that he used, he said Gehenna. And it's translated hell in English, but it's the, it's the word Gehenna. Jesus was saying what happened in that valley where parental love is gone and where uh, the, the, the notion is, is that you can sacrifice something that is entrusted to you, something that is weaker to you, something that is dependent upon you, but you can have such a cold heart that you can offer that up as a sacrifice and have it killed. That's the sort of heart attitude that people in hell will have. They will not care about each other. They do not care. It's a place of torment, of fire, of anguish, pain, no love. And that's why Jesus used Gehenna is because the Israelites eventually would worship the god Moloch by sacrificing their children in the valley to the southwest of Jerusalem, the valley of Hinnom. All right, so verses 9 through 21, we see a list of all of the things that required a death sentence. I will tell you that as you look at this, I... I this is the word of God. This is the law. But as we look at this list, and then as we look at how the Israelites lived, it's doubtful that uh, killing people for all of these things was the norm. It's doubtful that the Israelites ever acted on this. Every now and then, someone messed up. The community took their life. But, uh, but it seems as if this was not the norm. But this definitely was a law, laws that hung over their head that they realized that if they ventured into disobedience, then this law could be applied in their case. It seems to me that Leviticus uh, chapter 20 verses 9 through 21 uh, was a great deterrent to doing the things that God had said not to do. 
Uh, verses 23 to 22 through 27, um, basically God gives the motivation that people are to have for obeying this law. God said essentially that if you do these things that I've told you not to do, if you participate in the 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 paganistic, brutalistic um, activities of the, the Canaanites that are living in the land that you will take, then the land will vomit you out. The land itself will vomit you out. And we understand how that happened because the Israelites did engage in this activity. And we understand from world history that Assyria came in and took captive the northern tribes of Israel. And then a few, quite a few years later, the Babylonians came in and took the remaining tribes of Israel in the south into captivity. The land vomited them out because they did not live according to the Lord's laws. And once again... Chapter 20, verse 26, we see it says, You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be mine. God said, I have every right to expect you to obey me. Um, and if you don't, if you don't, then I'm going to have to punish you. And friend, I want you to know that the writer of Hebrews says that if we truly belong to the Lord, that when we sin, the Lord is going to discipline us. But if when we sin, the Lord does not bring discipline, then we do not belong to him. We're not his children. So friend, I'm telling you that actually the discipline of God in the Old Testament and in the New is actually in itself a loving act of God. It lets the people know that they genuinely belong to him, but it also lets them know that God will not tolerate what is harmful to his people and what robs him of glory. Therefore, God will punish those who are disobeying him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that since we live in the era of the New Testament, that even though an honest assessment of our own life, our mind, our thinking, our attitudes, our motives, actions, our words, everything testifies to the fact that we are not fully holy. We're so far from that standard that we are to strive for. But Lord Jesus, we thank you that it's because of you and because of the cross and the empty tomb that we who are trusting in you are forgiven, and we are declared righteous. And so, Lord, we understand in the New Testament that we are not to perform in order to gain the Father's favor. We are to receive what you have already done for us and then just act like who we are, to act like the righteous people that you have declared us to be, to act like the saints that you have called us to be. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would not take all that you have given us and then live a life unworthy of that. Lord Jesus, I pray that out of a debt of gratitude to you that we would live a life worthy of the calling that you have placed upon us and all that you have done for us, making us right and pleasing in the Father's eyes. So we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Well, I hope you've enjoyed our time together today. Once again, our reading just had us looking at the Old Testament, a couple of chapters. Tomorrow, I'm looking forward to getting into Matthew 28. We are coming to the end of the gospel where Jesus has risen, and uh, we're going to talk about some of those things tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Once again, if you're enjoying this, feel free to share this podcast, this episode with others. You can tell them about uh, the Enjoying the Bible podcast. You could share it to social media however you want. No obligation on your part, but I just wanted you to know that that's the way that we can get the word out and increase this family of people that are walking through and studying God's word together. I hope you have a great day and we'll look forward to spending time with you tomorrow. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.